You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Good morning, church. Um, Today we're reading from uh, 1 John 2, verse 28 to chapter 3, verse 10. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that I did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, that we will, that we will, he has been, has not yet, has has made him known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks this law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who who the children of the devil are. Anyone Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not who does not their love who oh sorry, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. A really warm welcome to everyone as well. If you're here for the baptisms, I think we're going to have a great time gathered together. Uh, I, I feel really stirred out of this passage to be speaking to those that are getting baptized, but actually I believe this applies to every single one of us, and whether you come every week or whether you are visiting. The word that comes across so clearly is children of God, children of God. Sorry, just everything okay? Sorry. Children of God. Children of God. Sorry, got slightly sidetracked. This year, we know that titles have communicated so much. I don't know if you've been thinking about it, but I was thinking, you know, the guy that used to be called the Prince of Wales is now called King Charles. The past has gone, the new has begun. I didn't realise this until I was researching today. There are several countries that have renamed themselves five countries within the last 10 years. And if you're on part of the Redeemer pub quiz on a Tuesday night, I'm sure you could shout all five at me. And some of you are now distracted and think, I don't know what the five are. You're not going to listen to the rest of the preach. I suppose I should tell you, but I'm... Turkey, Cape Verde, Holland, Republic of Macedonia, and Swaziland have all renamed themselves within the last 10 years. 
You see, titles communicate so much about you. And often what people do is they, they take a new title or a new country's name or because the future is where they're going and not about the past. And I want to suggest that here, John, who is one of the 12 disciples who wrote this letter, he wrote the book and four others. He's writing to believers to say, actually, I want to give you a new name. I want this to be about your future and not about your past. And the name that he brings to them is this, is you are children of God. So if you're one of the six getting baptized, this is the title that he says over you this morning. You can see it in verse 28. It says, and now, dear children, you can see it in verse 1. We should be called children of God. You can see it in verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God. You can see it in verse 7. Dear children. You can see it in verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. You see, it, it communicates so much. If I just ask you to think about that title, child of God. What do you think about when you think about a child? If I'm really honest, I think we recognize that children are young and they've got lots to learn. So if I say to these people getting baptized today, hey, if you're a child of God, you admit that you are young and you've got lots to learn. We recognize with children, don't we, they are dependent upon others. And actually, surely as believers, what we're coming in, we're saying, God, we depend upon you. We love the thing about children is they've got childlike faith. You know, you, you, you tell them, don't you? Oh, your birthday's coming. How many more sleeps? You know, there's suddenly this excitement, isn't there? How do we have that kind of faith in God? Whenever I hear the word child, I always think of a family. You know what I'm saying? If you just walk down Eden Broadway now and you, you suddenly saw a five-year-old on their own, you'd think, golly, where, where are the parents? Because this child should be part of a family. And so all these terms that John is throwing out here surely are true of believers now. We recognize we've got lots to learn. We recognize we're dependent upon others. We recognize that we're to come with childlike faith. It wasn't John only that used this title. Others did in the Bible. Paul, when he's writing the letter to the Romans, in Romans 8 says this, The Spirit, we've been singing so much about the Holy Spirit today, testifies within our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. That's the picture the Bible often says, doesn't it? Actually, the way of victory as a Christian is through the cross. We know that we have victory because Jesus died. We recognize that we have some challenging times. It's not, oh, suddenly you're going to be a child of God and everything's easy. But actually what we do know is the day of victory is coming. To become a child, we all recognize naturally that you need a father. But I want to suggest this morning there's a huge difference between paternity and fatherhood. Paternity is when you're physically involved. You are technically the dad. Fatherhood is when you are intimately involved. You love the child. You invest and you have time. Father is the name that we hear for God. 
It's not just, oh, he created us and, oh, okay, he was physically involved. It's actually he's intimately involved. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he came and said, Father. You see, that's the God that we come towards. John, who wrote this, many times refers to the great love that the Father has for you. John 3 verse 1, we read it there. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Uh, I'm involved in a small group that Neil's running in the church, and it's called the Ruthless Elimination of Hurries on a Thursday night. And there we were challenged just the other day that actually love can't be rushed. We walk with God, not run. In London, so often we want to rush around everywhere, don't we? Say, oh, come on, I get this. Oh, I've got my little bit of God and I'm going to rush on. But actually, there's something about the love of God that takes time. I've often been challenged, even in the mornings, when I'm reading the Bible for myself. We encourage people to have a Bible reading plan. It's not meant to be a working lunch with God. It's meant to be a romantic meal. It's not, hey, let's just get through this list and rush into the dates. Hey, let's just take some time and listen. Let's engage. In the Gospel of John, this author writes, Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's how God loves us. These six today are saying, well, actually, you know what? I recognize I'm a child of God. I recognize I have a Father in heaven who loves me. John goes on. Later in the gospel, we're reading his letter, but in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. I don't want us to rush beyond this. Sometimes the danger is we come to, you know, maybe church, maybe you're new here today, maybe you're watching the baptism. You think, oh God, is he the one who's going to tell me off? Is he going to watch how I've misbehaved? The Bible paints the picture of God loves you. God loves you. I wish I could look every single person in the eye and say, you know, God loves you. Because even now the danger is I could say it and you could think, oh, it's probably the person next to me. No, actually, it's the one sitting in the front row, isn't it? So often we think, oh, maybe I'm not worthy of that love. The Bible says God is a God who loves you. It's not just a New Testament picture. Even in Deuteronomy, when we discover why he picked the Israelites, it says in Deuteronomy 7, the, the Lord did not send his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. You were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you. In some respects, that, that's the thing about the, the Bible. It's really a love story. It really starts with God creating people and saying, I love them. I love to be with them. And then things start going wrong. And God says, you know what? I'm going to pursue them. Even the prophet Hosea, when he's writing 700 years before the birth of Jesus, he says, hey, when Israel was a child, I loved him. Oh, wow. That's the kind of genre this is. I don't know what kind of film you go to on Netflix. Me... I'm a sucker if it's a true life story. And nowadays they say based on a true life story and you're not sure if only one character was true life. You know what I'm saying? But I always say, oh, I, I want that. If you want to pick this up, you've got to realize that actually God's going to say on every page, I love you. I'm pursuing you. Hey, if you're getting baptized, 
It's because you responded to the love of God. The Bible clearly paints the picture that these six have been adopted by a loving father into his family. I'm delighted that we've got four families at the church that are looking to adopt. And as a church, we want to support them because that is such a great biblical picture of the gospel. My own brother has adopted three children, he and his wife. On the third occasion, as a family, we were picking up speed on this. There was 26 of us at the court, and we all signed a paper to say, this boy is joining our family. That's the kind of welcome we want. That's how God feels about you, when he wants to welcome you into the family. But this Bible passage, this that we're learning about children of God, is not just about God the Father but Jesus the Son. We discover two things about Jesus from this passage. He appeared to take away sin. Now, if you don't come to church very often, you think, golly, that is a bizarre word, isn't it? The only time you've probably used the word sin is for a calorie count on ice creams at some dessert, isn't it? Oh, how many sins is that one? It becomes a bit of a joke. The Bible uses the word to describe when we break God's law. It can be our thoughts, our words, our actions. In fact, even not doing the good that you know you should do, the Bible would say, well, that could be a sin. Many of us have been hurt by the sins of others. Will we admit that we've hurt others by our sin? See, the Bible teaches there are positive and negative actions, and they have consequences. Let's be honest, if you're in London and you're working hard, you're hoping that you're going to get a good job. If you get up early and you go to the gym, you're trusting for a chiseled body. But if you spend more than you earn, you know you'll end up in debt. If you constantly lie, you know that others won't trust you. There are these consequences to our action. Our sin has therefore impacted our relationship with God. It's a bit like a bombed bridge. Communication is halted and it takes time to repair. And Jesus took that time and that effort. He lived the perfect life. He died on our behalf. That's what John is writing to these Christians. Again, in the gospel, we learn so much about God, um, God from John in his letter and, and John in the gospel. John 1 verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's just this amazing picture, isn't it? He describes Jesus, John the Baptist, and says, Hey, this is the one who takes away sin. If we admit we've got sin, he can take it away for us. This was something that they were all expecting the Messiah to do. Isaiah, he was another prophet. He was 800 years before Christ. He says in verse 4, Surely he took up our pain, that's Jesus, and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. 
He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Not only does the Bible teach about Jesus taking the punishment for our sin, which seems amazing enough. It actually says that Jesus, who never sinned, who was considered righteous and perfect, we get to be in him and considered right and perfect. These six getting baptized. That's how God sees you. Now, your brother or your sister might have something else to say about that. Your mum or your dad might want to raise some questions. But there is a sense of we are totally forgiven in Jesus Christ. Paul says that. He says about this great exchange in 2 Corinthians. God made him who had no sin, Jesus, be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what this is a picture of. I've often said, you know, look, we we don't own this building. Surprise, surprise. That's why it's called the University of West London. So we have to come in and assemble this. I grew up in a church where we had one of these built into the church floor because it's meant to be a grave. And the idea is you die to yourself. My sin I've died to and now I'm now going to live for him. We understand Jesus died for our sin. But it also tells us in this passage that Jesus is coming back and he will destroy the enemy. Look, there's lots of good in the world. But I think all of us would admit some things have gone wrong. I read this this week. There were 710 homicides in the last year in England and Wales alone. I read in the last year that 85,000 women and 12,000 men experienced rape, attempted rape or sexual assault in this country in the last year. They reckon today, today, there's almost 50 million people caught up in modern slavery. The number of people forcibly displaced from their home is now 89 million, and there's 27 million refugees. I think we could admit, golly, the world, for all its good, is broken. But one day, Jesus will come back and sort all of this out. And look, I want us to be a light that makes a difference now. But my confidence is one day, he will sort this out. And that's what brings us hope, isn't it? Hey, I don't think the band knew my three points this morning, but we have basically sung all of them. You know, I sort of think, oh, it's interesting. And then I thought, actually, every song seems to just reflect what I felt God had put on my heart. You see, the third person of the Trinity that we learn about in this passage is the Holy Spirit. Many would say that when it talks about the seed, there's a reference to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. And so actually there's a sense in this picture is that God loves you, Jesus died for you, and the Holy Spirit wants to fill you. And it's amazing, isn't it? Benisi just comes out and brings that word right at the end. He had no idea I was thinking of, of, of saying this. We, we have a prayer meeting at a quarter to ten, just for 15 minutes. We pray for the morning. I don't think Abby had any idea. She just kept, kept saying, God tells me this morning we're to be children. 
And I thought, wow, that's the exact thing. I honestly believe God is speaking to us. Jesus even told his disciples it was better that he went so that the comfort of the Holy Spirit could come and fill them. I read a passage right at the beginning about Paul to the Romans saying, hey, this is what adoption means. Well, the the bit right before that in Romans 8 goes like this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. That's what the Holy Spirit does inside of us. I mean, what an incredible picture. He's saying, I'm changing your name. I want you to know of a Father who loves you. I want you to know of Jesus who died for you. I want you to know of the Holy Spirit who fills you. Ultimately, this will change the way we live. It must do. I don't think that John is telling us that we have to be sinless. I don't think anyone here is going to stand up and we're not expecting those six to get baptized and say, hey, I've never done anything wrong and from now on I will be perfect. They're not sinless. But I do believe that John says they should sin less. So it's not perfection, but the more you become like, well, your Father in heaven, the more you won't want to sin. embarrassing isn't it I always uh, <clears throat> used to mock my parents to be honest they went on holiday and they both came back with a green jersey that said Canada on it and I thought they've been married for 40 years that's getting scary isn't it they dress the same and then occasionally I tend to walk to church on a Sunday morning and have a bit of time to pray and think and Nikki comes in the car and sometimes I stand next to her and think oh no I'm turning into my parents <laughs> you see people that we're around a lot we become like don't we And that's what he's saying to these children of God. Hey, it's not, oh, you've got to try and scrub up and you've just got to try and make yourself... Actually, the more you love God and the more you understand he loves you and the more you understand that Christ died for you, it's not that you're going to be sinless, but you will want to sin less. We know that John is not expecting them to be perfect. In fact, he says right at the beginning of the book, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. He also says just in the next chapter, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for our sins, but the sins of the world. But actually we then get to this bit where he says, actually it should impact the way you live because you have the Holy Spirit inside of us. I'm just about to close. I know we're looking forward to hearing these testimonies. I just want to apply this in three very quick ways. The first is this. Everyone's got a choice to make. You see, I've looked here at children of God. But actually, also in the passage, refers to children of the devil. You might say, well, I'm not, is it Sam Smith singing unholy? But actually, you've got to choose one team or the other. And maybe you're here today and you say, oh, God, I've never thought of it like that. I just thought some of these people, they want to become Christians. I think the Bible would say this There's two teams. You're either a child of God or you're not. And so you have a choice today. If you think, oh, how do do I sort that out, Pete? God, you just dumped that one on. You could come to the Hope Explored on a Wednesday night. 
You think, hey, I've got some questions. Great, come to the hub on a Wednesday. Ask your questions. No one's forcing stuff on you. You might say, man, alive, I haven't heard all of this. My eyes are opened. We have a prayer team that will pray at the end. We have a little booklet, Why Jesus Would Love to Pray with You. The second application of this is children of God do right. Sin is inconsistent with sonship. Hey, there's no point saying, oh, it's my wife. Oh, I love my wife, I love my wife. And then go and kiss Melissa. She's going to say, well, I don't think that's showing a lot of love to me. So why do we say, God, I love you, I love you? And then just want to go and kiss the world. Sin is inconsistent with sonship. We are to grow more and more like Christ. That's why I'm delighted that these six are getting baptized. Jesus modeled baptism. We read about that in Matthew 3. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Hey, if you're a believer and you're not yet baptized, why not commit to doing it today? Why not on the back of this say, hey, look, I've seen this, I've heard it. Pete, when are you getting the pool out? I want to be in there next. My third point of application. Don't doubt there should be an assurance for you. You see, what it talks about here is that you are adopted. You are saved and you are adopted. You are forever his. There is certainly certainty. It's not ultimately about me. It's not about what I achieve or do. It's not even about whether I get in the pool. This is ultimately about Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. And so the danger is some of us can sit and think, I, I just don't know I'm good enough. You'll never be good enough. The gospel is the only thing you contribute is your sin. But then you can realize he absolutely loves you and he'll forgive you. And you say, Pete, I don't deserve it. Great, that's step one. Step two is now realize what he's done for you. But some of us, we can doubt and you think, hey, look, I have messed up. In fact, this has not been a good week for sin. I, don't, I, I can't really sing this morning because of what I was thinking this week, what I've, the way I've behaved. Well, actually, this passage tells us you have an assurance. Those three kids that my brother adopted, I've got the Cornford surname. Like it or lump it, they're part of our tribe forever. They're in. They're with us. They're Cornfords. That's how God feels about you. When he adopts you, you're in forever. For these six people, I'm reminding getting baptism is them saying, hey, the, the Bible now describes you as children of God. God is your father. Jesus paid the price. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you've not been baptized, you have a choice to make. But rather than be challenged and inspired by me, why don't you listen to their testimonies, hear their stories, and then maybe we can talk after that. I'll hand straight back to Mark.